0: There used to be this little feature in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette every Sunday in the Society pages, it might still be there, that recounted how couples met. It was always about two people that had been together for many decades. A lot of the stories went back to the World War II era or shortly thereafter. He was a GI, she was a USO volunteer, they danced, and he told his buddies, that's the girl I'm going to marry. Every week, some variation on that story. A story that those among us who are married have been asked to tell at one time or another by our kids or by new acquaintances. These stories always used to remind me about that old trick question. How many of your ancestors died in childhood? I'll wait for a second while you think about that. The point of that question was that for us to be born, everyone in our lineage had to survive long enough to reproduce. And for long stretches of history, that was beating the odds. When we look back to the circumstances that led to us being here, the coincidences that had to align for our parents to meet, and our grandparents, and on and on, backwards in time and wider in space, it's alarmingly evident that every single one of us is highly unlikely. We are a collection of billion-to-one moonshots. To anyone watching from two or three generations back, our future existence is overwhelmingly improbable. Standing there with an uncharted future hazily taking shape, there's no path that gets from there to here. But from here where we stand, the path exists, written in the lives of everyone in our family tree. We look back and cannot help seeing it all as at one level inevitable. The difference between these two points of view is captured in the Greek philosopher Aristotle's theory of causation. To Aristotle, the world could not be fully explained by the kinds of causes that precede effects by cue balls smashing into billiard balls and sending them off careening at mathematically predictable angles. He called that efficient causality, the kind where if you push someone the next instant they will fall down. But how does that explain the way an oak tree grows from an acorn? Isn't it the case in some mysterious way that every acorn has the goal of becoming an oak tree and that if conditions are right it will develop along the lines of that goal. Aristotle linked the oak to the acorn in a system he called final causation. The goal, despite not existing in the physical world, exerts a pressure on the physical world shaping it toward a certain outcome not by pushing from behind, but by pulling from ahead. Now, we can't help but feel ourselves to be the goal of the world's history. But I don't think this is just hubris. Part of why we feel like life has been shaped to bring us into being is that we ourselves feel a pressure, a pull, a tug, a call. Goals that we choose call to us. Terry asks me to preach today, I say yes, and every day since then I have felt the pressure (laughs) of that task that I chose for myself, sending me, calling me to the lectionary, to the computer keyboard. The flourishing of those who depend upon us, our children and others we care for, calls to us. We perform that maintenance that optimizes conditions, creating an environment where, like acorns, their own final causes draw them to completion. Ideals deep within our character and our worldview call to us. We perform our acts of service, small or large, because a vision of a world without hunger or want tugs at us, shaping our desire and our behavior. And uniting all of these pulling, tugging, shaping goals is a presence that hovers just beyond the present. That's the way the process theologian and historian Lewis Ford thinks of God. In his book, The Lure of God, he asks us to think of God as future possibility. Like the kingdom of heaven in the Gospels, God embodies and presents to us an ideal that puts our present in perspective and shows us what we should be working for. God is the call to the next moment and the next and the whole sequence of moments between now and the fulfillment of creation's promise. Some of us have heard that call come with the simplicity and innocence of little Samuel. There's something we have to do, a role we have to fulfill. Step up and do it. We may not even recognize to what we are responding when we act. There's nothing mysterious or otherworldly or visionary about it. Only afterwards, or from the perspective of someone else, do we ask the question, who called me? But often we challenge the call. Stepping forward, committing ourselves, following that lure, it's a conscious decision. We might look to the past for confirmation, the way Jesus proves himself to Nathaniel by revealing that he knows his past words and actions. And yet, the miraculous confluence of events in the past that led us to this moment, Jesus promises, is nothing compared to what we will witness when we witness the glory of God, the reality of that ideal vision in the future. Central to the process perspective, as represented by Ford and others, is that the path between us and the future, that future, does not exist. We blaze that trail ourselves with every step we take. We create the way that transforms our present into a stage on the way to God's kingdom. And that means that no matter how we receive the call, whether faint or clear, with signs and wonders or without, it reminds us of our agency. We are summoned to respond and that means we are responsible. Many cultures around the world venerate or even worship their ancestors. And when you think about it, that is hardly surprising. They made us possible. Seen together in that great spreading family tree, they support our life as certainly as the air we breathe and the water we drink. They answered the call. They believed in the possibility of us. We now take our place in the web of responsibility and gratitude that links past, present, and future. The call rings out, pulling us toward God. Amen.